Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In today's episode, we have a special guest, Eric Allen. Eric serves as the Mission Mobilization Team Leader for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. And today, he is bringing a message of encouragement to be on mission in our community for the gospel of Christ. If you're in the Ashland or Tri-State area, we would love to see you. Stick around until the end and find out how you can connect with us here at Unity Baptist Church. Well, good morning, Unity Baptist Church. It is good to be with you. It is good to worship with you. I'm telling you what, uh, Theron and uh, all the group that led us in worship did a tremendous job. And you know what? I just got a feeling that you didn't just sing about a holy God and how awesome he was and how deserving he was and is of our praise. You believe that, don't you? Amen. Amen. Well, you know, there's a lot of folks outside the walls of this church this morning that don't know Jesus Christ yet. They don't know what an awesome, holy God he is. They don't know how deserving of their praise he is. They don't understand why we gather together this morning to worship and to praise him. And so this morning, I wanna share uh, from a familiar passage of scripture, but I wanna share a word of challenge for Unity Baptist Church to be on mission in this community. You have have a history, you have a, a legacy, a reputation, if you will, for being a church on mission. I know about many of the things you've done in the past. I know that coming up at the end of August, you're doing some type of community engagement. And I am so excited about that. But this morning, I want us to think about those who who we can help. And through helping them, we get an opportunity to share the gospel. Even as we meet this morning, I lead the Kentucky Baptist Convention's missions mobilization team. And on the team that I lead is the director of Kentucky Baptist Disaster Relief. And Ron Crow and and volunteers from across this state and other states have been busy since the eastern, southeastern Kentucky floods. They've been ministering to people. We're set up in some eight different locations, uh, helping to mud out homes. If you've ever done mud out, do we have any DR volunteers All right, I'm seeing a few hands, awesome. You know that mud out is probably the hardest, most intensive, sweaty, difficult work that a DR team can do. And that's what they're engaging in in Southeastern Kentucky. Helping people to get the mud literally out of their homes, take down drywall, pull out carpets, dry it out, then spray it out with a chemical to keep mold from growing and helping them in so many ways because they've lost everything. And in the process, they get to share Jesus with these folks. They're they're not only doing mud out work, they're helping with laundry, they're feeding thousands of meals, preparing and and serving those to people. Uh, they're, They're offering showers, we have shower units, just doing all kinds of things to open doors to share the gospel. And you'll like this. I got a report uh, last night from Ron, and this last week, we've seen 11 professions of faith in Eastern Kentucky. Isn't that awesome? That is exciting. 
And, and all the glory goes to the Lord because it's only God who can take situations like that, open doors for opportunity to share about him so that we can point people to him. And so that, that's something that's going on now. And you have a part in that. You have a part because you have folks who are trained and who are, have volunteered in disaster relief. You have a part because you give to the cooperative program and through that giving to the cooperative program, you've made our response uh, of, uh, that we could do that. You've made it possible for us to be in places where there's tornadoes or floods. And so I wanna thank you for that. I mentioned those outside the walls of this church that don't yet know Christ. Do you know that this morning across the state of Kentucky, Glenn Mary report statistics tell us that on average, this is the state of Kentucky, on average only 13.9% of the state of Kentucky is in attendance in any church, not just a Baptist church, but in any church this morning. Now Boyd County fares a little better. It's, it's exciting to know that in Boyd County, the numbers tell us that 15.7% of Boyd County is in attendance in some church this morning. And so while we can be excited that the average is better in, in uh, Boyd County, we need to remember that even if we round that up to 16% in church this morning, that means that 84% of Boyd County is not in church this morning. Do you hear that? 84% of the county of Boyd is not in church this morning. I don't know what that says. For some of them, they may be believers and they're not able to be here. For others, I don't know. I just think if we're Christ followers, we're going to be in worship. We're going to be clapping. We're going to be sharing joy that's in our heart and, and, and wanting to praise God who's given us the life that we celebrate. So this morning, I want to talk about some ways that your church might think about engaging your community. I want to share with you the scripture that God has laid on my heart in Mark chapter 2, but I also want to share with you stories of churches and things they've done to reach the lost in the communities around them. I know you're doing some of these things, but I want to encourage you to think about ways that God might use you to reach those who are part of that 86% that are not in church this morning. Let's begin with Mark chapter 2. Reading in verse 1, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he, that's Jesus, preached the word to them. Some men came. They, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and digging through it, they lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, and they were thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, 
and go home. He got up, he took up his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Father, thank you for your word. Would you bless this reading of your word? Help us, Father, to take it, to apply it to our life, to hear your voice and your words through it. May you speak, Father, this morning to each one of us in a very individual and personalized way so that we might truly understand what you desire for us. In your name we pray, amen. I want us to look at this passage this morning in this way. I want to challenge each of you to identify someone in this story that you identify with. I want you to select who is that person that you identify with. And so I'll help you by, let's look first of all at the person in this story who is most obvious, and that is the hurting. In this story is a man who was hurting. He was hurting because he was paralyzed. He couldn't walk. There was much that he couldn't do for himself. He depended upon others for many of the needs that he had. We don't know how long he'd been sitting there waiting and, and, and depending on people, but we know this, he was hurting. He was hurting in a way that was very obvious. It was a physical hurt that people could see. He was paralyzed. But in the shadow of this steeple of Unity Baptist Church are people all around us who are hurting. They're not quite as obvious as the man that was laying here on this ground, but they're hurting. Their family's hurting because they're struggling with financial issues, not sure if they're gonna be able to pay the bills next week. Their family's hurting in this community because of addiction and the harm that it causes to not just the one who's addicted, but the family. They're hurting in this community this morning from those who are struggling with unplanned pregnancies, with hunger, with people who are incarcerated, with people who are unemployed, with children who are, who are getting ready to start a school year, and if it weren't for going to school, many of them would be hungry. You see, they're hurting all around us. It's not as obvious as the paralytic that was laying on the ground, but they're hurting. And so one of the jobs of us as a church is to figure out who are the hurting. I don't know if you've read the book, but there's a book by uh, Tom Rayner called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And you know what an autopsy is. An autopsy is something in which uh, the coroner discovers the reason for the death of that person. Well, Tom Rayner in his book, The Autopsy of a Deceased Church, studied churches all across the U.S. that had died, had literally closed their doors to discover what was it that caused the death of that church. One of the top four reasons for the death of a church is when the church fails to recognize the hurting and the needs of its own community. You see, we can drive in for worship this morning and almost be insulated from the needs of the people around us. We can drive in this morning and pass by those who are hurting and never even take a glance, never even look that way. And so if we're going to reach the 84% in this county who are not in church this morning, we're going to have to notice the needs. We're gonna to have to notice the hurting who are there. It's not always easy to see, but they're there. They're there. We just have to look a little deeper. I don't think that we need another study, but I'm going to give you one just in case you're wondering. Barner Research did a study, 
And in this study, they saw that 78% of those who took this survey, now that's high for any survey, 78% believed that the church, that's who we are, right? If we're a follower of Christ, we're a part of this group. The church was more concerned about organized religion and meeting its own needs than it was meeting the needs of the community. How concerned are we about the hurting in Ashland, Kentucky? How concerned are we about those that, that, yeah, it doesn't really impact our life if we don't do anything, but how concerned are we about them? I wanna share with you about Northside Baptist Church in Mount Vernon, Kentucky. Northside Baptist Church decided they wanted to meet the needs of the hurting in their community. And there are many ways that you can identify those needs. You can identify them because you interact with people in the workplace, at the grocery store, your neighbors, in the schools. You know some of those hurts. Some churches decide to take a, a community assessment and to, decide, and to learn from that what are the needs in our community so that we might meet those needs. Northside Baptist Church did that. They determined that the need that they wanted to address, the hurting that they wanted to help, were just down from them in the jail, in the, what served as the prison in that area. And so they decided to go in there and they would begin to go in and they would share the gospel regularly. Not once in a blue moon, but every week. Week in and week out. They would go in and they would share the gospel and they would see people come to faith in Christ. And the men that came to believe on Christ were discipled by these men from the church who would continue to go in. And because they continued to go in and reach that, that group of people who were hurting, Northside Baptist Church grew by 300% in five years. What would it look like here if unity grew by 300% in five years? I dare say you'd have, to, you'd have to build or go to multiple services. You don't have room for them. Now let me share with you why that happened. Because these men, as they were ministered to, as their needs were met and their hurt was addressed, when it came time for them to be released or to have an opportunity to be in church, where do you think they wanted to be? They wanted to be at Northside where relationships had been developed because they knew the men there. And one man in particular who was serving time was due to be released. He was coming up for parole. It was time for him to get out. He was serving a manslaughter charge for the death of a man in that community that had, who had died during a robbery, whose life was taken during a robbery. And so the man, as he was getting ready to be released, said to Brother Chad, the pastor, he said, you know, I'd really love to come to Northside, but I'm not sure I'd be welcome there. And Brother Chad said, no, I, I think you would be. And the man stopped him and said, no, you know why I might not be welcome there. Brother Chad paused and he said, you're right, I do know. But he said, let's pray about it. Brother Chad went back to the church and he, he addressed a widow lady in that church. That widow was a widow because her husband's life had been taken in the robbery. Her husband's life was the reason this man was serving time for manslaughter. And so Brother Chad said to her, he said, you know, he's, he's coming up for parole soon. And he'd really like to come to church here and, and he's not sure if he'd be welcome. And, and, and I understand why he feels that way. Brother Chad said to her, would you, would you at least consider, would you prayerfully consider might it be okay for him to come here to church? She looked at Brother Chad 
She said, I don't have to think about it. He's welcome here. She said, I knew this day would come and I've been praying that God would give me the strength that if he wanted to come to church here, he could. And so folks, that's what happens when God transforms lives. That's what happened in Northside. That's why that church grew by, by so much because they were concerned and meeting the needs of the hurting in their community. But let's move on. There's, there's someone else in this story that I want us to note. There, there's four men in this story that we could call the helping. The four men in this story who were helping were, were told Jesus saw and he said, because of your faith, th their faith, this man was made whole and walked again. But I want us to look at some other characteristics that I think these men showed by helping this hurting paralytic get to Jesus. One of the first things we notice is that they had compassion. These were men who had compassion on a man who had been sitting for a long time on the side of the road. These were men that cared about this man. Now, the scripture tells us in, in Matthew 9 that Jesus saw, he looked down and he saw the city. He saw all that was going on. And it says he saw them as helpless and hopeless, like, like sheep without a shepherd. But it says he had compassion on them. And because he had compassion on them, he saw them that way. How do we see the people in our community? I can tell you, I'm going to be transparent with you. I don't always have compassion on those in my community. I remember standing in the Walmart store where I live, standing in line. You know, nobody likes to stand in line. But I was in line waiting, and there were several people ahead of me. And I was trying to be patient, and that's a hard thing for me to do. I was standing there and just, you know, kind of hoping and praying, Lord, I hope this line hurries up, you know. And in the process of my waiting, I noticed the lady in front of me. She was harsh looking. I began to, to make judgments about her life and who she was and, and how she behaved just by looking at her. I, I saw things that, that made me think this, this, lady's, this, lady's probably, this lady's probably on drugs right now. I mean, I looked at her teeth, her face, everything about her just pointed to, to an addict. Now, she may have been but here's what I want you to hear. I, I didn't see her with compassion. I didn't see her with compassion. I was making judgments because of the way she looked. And, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but God spoke to me and here's what my spirit heard. Eric, I love her as much as I love you. You see, it's easy to look at those in the community and to say, well, they're in the shape they're in because of decisions they've made. They should have done this. That wouldn't have happened had they done that. And we see them in a different light. We don't see them with compassion as Jesus does and sees them as someone needing help, someone who's been harassed, who's had a hard life that needs the shepherd to guide them. So I wanna encourage you to think about compassion just like these men did because here's, here's what compassion looks like. One of those four saw this paralyzed man lying there. He cared enough to say, guys, come here a minute. We, we got to get him. We, we've got to pick him up and get him to Jesus. It'd been so easy to just walk on by. I don't know if the four men were together already, 
We don't know if one of the, the four had compassion and went to get the other three to help. But somebody, at least one of that four, of those four, had compassion. Enough compassion not to make judgments or to make decisions, but to simply see a man in need and say, I'm going to do what I can to help him. I tell you, a church that, that exhibited and showed compassion in their community, it was First Baptist Church of Louisa. They, they wanted to show compassion on their community. And you know, I wondered, how, how do we know if our church shows compassion? How, how do we know if our church is, is reaching out to community? Let me share with you just quickly a couple of ways. Look at your church's budget. How much of your church's budget is for missions, for ministry, for local projects to meet needs? Because all of that is stuff that shows us our church has an outward focus. Our church wants to meet the needs and help people get to Jesus. You look at that versus how much of our church's budget is for keeping the building up and, and keeping us happy and comfortable and doing things that we need. That's all good. There's nothing wrong with it. But when you look at the two together, it sometimes gives us a little insight. Are we more inward focused? Are we more outward focused? Look at your, you look at your church's uh, calendar. Same thing. Look at all the activities on your calendar. How much of it is related to missions and ministry and meeting the needs of the hurting right here in Boyd County in the Ashland area versus how much is about just keeping those of us who are already believers happy and engaged. All of those things are kind of signs to help us see who we are as a church. Well, Louisa First Baptist Church showed great compassion when one of their members worked in an elementary school cafeteria. Her job, she was the lunchroom monitor. I don't know, I don't know exactly, I've not seen a job description for a lunchroom monitor, but I have an idea what that means. That lunchroom monitor helps the students get to the line, get their food, they eat their meal, they help them get their trays back up, they line them up at the door so that the teacher can then take them back to the class because the teachers eat lunch in a different place. And so this lunchroom monitor was in there one day, she'd done this many times over. And she noticed as she started, she told a classroom, she said, get your things together, we're gonna take your trays up to the window. And as she did that, she noticed a little boy take a sandwich that was on his, on his plate, and it was half eaten, he'd eaten about half the sandwich, he took the other half, put it in a napkin, and started to put it, put it in his jacket pocket. And she said, now wait a minute, you know we're not allowed to take food from the cafeteria, you need to go ahead and eat it, and what you don't eat, we just put on the tray and put back up at the window. And he looked up at her and he said, but my mom said I need to bring home half of my meal because my little sister will be hungry if I don't. You see, he had a little sister that wasn't in school. She wouldn't be receiving a free lunch. She wouldn't be getting anything to eat. She is just an example of what we see all throughout the state of Kentucky. One in five children, 20% of Kentucky's children or what we call food insecure. They don't know where their next meal will come from. And because of her compassion, she went back to her church and she told her pastor brother Rick, she said, Rick, we, we've got to do something to meet the needs in this community. And they became, this is several years ago that they did this, they became one of the first churches in the state to do what's called the, the backpack ministry where they pack meals and they send food items home with children on the weekend who are in need of that. 
And in that, they provide some type of gospel presentation. Maybe it's a children's Bible story book, an invitation to some special evangelistic event, or, or whatever it might be. They're feeding children who are hungry, and in doing so, attempting to share the gospel with people who need to know Jesus. Folks, that's what it means to show compassion. That, that lunchroom monitor could have said, well, I mean, it'd been horrible, but she, she probably thought, you know, if your mother would work, maybe she'd have food to, to feed your sister. Or if your mother didn't do drugs, maybe she'd have, room, have food and money to feed her sister. There's all kinds of things we can think, but you see, she showed compassion. She met needs, and that church saw opportunities for sharing the gospel because of their compassion. Let's think about these men. Let's continue. These men, not only did they have compassion, one of the other things they characterized was creativity. Think about that. These men are coming. One of them's got great compassion and leads the group to pick up this guy. And they pick him up. And as we look, look at the scripture here. It tells us that what they did, it says that uh, they came to him bringing a paralytic in verse three by four men. Verse four, since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was and when they had broken through, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic was lying. So they show great compassion. They get the man to Jesus. And all of a sudden, they can't get in to see Jesus because the crowd is so great. The crowd, the scripture tells us, is even outside the door. They couldn't get in. If I had been one of those four men, I am not a creative person. I'd have probably said, guys, I think we're going to have to come back tomorrow night when Jesus is preaching again. We're not going to get in here. Somebody in this group of men showed great creativity. One of those men said, no, wait a minute. I got an idea. Let's take him to the roof. Let's pull back this roof. I think, I think we can do it, guys. Here's what we do. We're going to put a rope on each corner. And we're going to lower. Maybe it wasn't even rope. Maybe it was part of their dress, their garment. But we're going to lower him down where Jesus can see him. He'll have full attention. Let's do it. Now, can you imagine being a part of a ministry and you get ready to do something and somebody comes up with some cockamamie creative idea like that? How many of us are going to go, oh, oh, oh no, wait a minute. <laughs> Not going to do that. But somebody was creative. Somebody said, if we're going to get him to Jesus, we got to figure out how to do it. Because the, the normal way, the regular way that we would do it to walk through the door and get him there, we can't. So we've got to do something different. And that's what churches have got to do. Sometimes the normal way, the way we've been trying to get people to Jesus isn't working. And so we have to try new and creative ways, just like these men did, in order to get the lost, the hurting, to Jesus. We see it over and over in ministries. Ministries in a church will keep going and you'll see it and you'll try it and you keep trying it and you keep thinking we'll just revamp it. And at some point, sometimes it means, you know what, we just need to lay it aside. Let's try something new. Let's get real creative. Let's do something we haven't done before so we can reach the hurting, the lost in this community. That's what uh, Salem Baptist Association did. Salem Baptist Association uh, was led by a, a, an elderly couple, Jack and Wilma Simmons. Jack and Wilma Simmons uh, were both retired, so they're not young people, but they had a great heart of compassion, a desire to reach a trailer park, a large trailer park in Meade County, several hundred trailers. 
And so they discussed with each other and with people in their church, why don't we go in there in the afternoons and do Bible clubs for kids? Let's go share the gospel, get inside there. There's a lot of families in that mobile home park. So they approached the idea, they took it to the manager of the park and they said, we'd love to come in here and we'd love to, to do this. We think it'd be a great thing for your, your trailer park. We think it would, would be helpful to the residents who live here, be great for the kids. We'll take care of everything. We'll bring it all, you don't have to do anything. But what we need, a space. Have you got a space here that we can rent or, or a trailer we can use, mobile home? And she's like, no, I don't. I think it's a great idea, I'd love to have you come, but we're completely full. I don't have an empty lot that I could rent you. I don't have a trailer that's not being used. We don't have a community room that you could use or I'd let you use that. We don't have that. So we'll give it some thought. They left, they went home. Wilma woke up during the night remembering an article she'd read in a missions mosaic magazine about a church that took a school bus and converted it into a mobile classroom. And so that's what Jack and Wilma did. They got creative. They, they got other churches to help. The association was on board and they took a school bus, took all of the seats out, put flooring in. They put tables on the wall that would come down if needed or they would retract and fold up against the wall. They put a generator on the back, an air conditioning heating unit on top. They had electrical outlets down the wall so they could plug in a boom box or a glue gun and they started bringing that thing to the trailer park. And kids came out of the woodwork, literally. And two days of every week, they were there sharing the gospel with not only children, but with families. And then before you know it, a place came available. And they began to have, hold Sunday services. They began to baptize and put a church in there. All because someone got creative and said, how can we? How can we reach those who are hurting, who don't yet know Jesus, who are right here? They got creative and they figured out a way to do that. Folks, that's what has to happen if we're gonna reach people with the gospel, the 84% who aren't in church this morning. Let's look at something else these men showed. They showed compassion, they showed creativity, and the third thing they showed was cooperation. Now we struggle sometimes with cooperation because if someone doesn't agree with us, we're not gonna work with them. If someone doesn't agree with them, we're, not gonna, we're only not gonna work with them, we might even throw stones at them. You know, we're so good at this right now in our world, aren't we? Our culture is so divided about everything. It doesn't matter what you say, if you say it on social media, somebody else is gonna come back at you. That is a, a, a terrible place to be, but unfortunately, some of our churches are the same way because we have ideas from our congregation, from our pastor about how we're gonna reach the lost, what we're gonna do, and because we don't agree or we don't like the idea, we think, I'm not gonna do it. These four men cooperated together to get their, their friend to Jesus. How do I know? Look with me at the scripture. Beginning in verse, uh, verse two, it says, so many people gathered that there was no room for them, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the message to them. Verse three, then they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him, they, see how many times the word they is there? They were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. They removed the roof above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the stretcher 
on which the paralytic man was lying. They, they worked together to make sure that this man got to Jesus. They, they didn't argue with one another. If I'd have been in part of that crowd and we're carrying our friend to Jesus and I've got one corner of this stretcher, the guy in front said, hey, Eric, we're gonna cut left here around this home and come up on the other side. I'd be, oh, wait a minute, I don't wanna do that. There's a dog in that yard. I'm afraid that dog's gonna bite me or bark. I'm scared of dogs. I'm not gonna do that. I mean, I'm being silly, but you see, we do that. It's not my way, so I'm not going to agree. We are not ever gonna reach the 84% who are not in church this morning by always having to have our way. We've got to cooperate together with one another. We have to cooperate with those on both sides of this aisle. We have to cooperate with people who are in different generations. We've got to cooperate with the people who, who are our brothers and sisters in Christ and they just see things a little differently. Sometimes it's a good thing. We've got to cooperate together. It was only through cooperation that these four men could get their friend to Jesus. Jesus even says in verse five, seeing their faith. Again, it was a unified, Jesus didn't say seeing the faith of a couple of those guys, he says their faith. Jesus saw them as a group because they came in agreement bringing their friend. Here's the thing that concerns me. If we don't cooperate together, we will not reach the world with the gospel of Christ. When I lived in Henderson, Kentucky, I was there about 15 years, and the church I was a part of began a ministry center in the, in the community there. It was a multi-church effort. We had uh, medical care provided by doctors. We had a dental chair. We could do uh, teeth cleanings and extractions. We helped with after-school programs and did tutoring. We gave out clothing when needed and food. We gave out rent assistance. Uh, there was counseling that took place there. All of this, but it wasn't just my church. It was all the churches working together because one church had a doctor and another church had a person to serve as a receptionist. One church had a school teacher that served a tutor. One church had a retired man that was gonna help take care of the food and clothing distribution. It was, an, it was a, a cooperative effort. Everyone working together and today, if you go to Henderson, you're gonna see a building there. You're gonna see a ministry that is thriving called the Answer Center because the churches cooperated together much in the same way that these four men did because they wanted to get their friends to Jesus. You've seen the hurting in this story, this paralyzed man, and we have them all around here. We've looked at these four men who were helping and we've, we've looked at their life to see what characterizes a person who helps. But there's somebody in this story, and maybe you've never really paid much attention when you've read it, but there's somebody else in this story. Look at verse four. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. How many times have you looked at the crowd? Maybe, maybe we are the crowd. Because you see, while we've got hurting people in this world and we've got people that want to help, and maybe you're one of those, maybe you're hurting, you're in the right place this morning. Maybe you're helping through ministry, through this church, or in other ways. Or maybe you're a hindrance. Wait, wait a minute, I'm not a hindrance. That's what the crowd had become. The crowd had become a hindrance without even realizing it. There is nowhere in the scripture that leads us to believe that that crowd intentionally 
blocked anyone from coming to Jesus. But I think in listening to Jesus and getting caught up listening to what he was saying and being part of that, that sermon that he was teaching, they missed those who were hurting and trying to get to him. It, it's kind of like we come in here and we get caught up worshiping and hearing the word taught each Sunday by Brother Heath and, 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 and we, we, we experience some great times together as a church, but we can get so caught up as a church being together and worshiping God and listening to the word that we forget there's people behind us that don't yet know Jesus. And we become a hindrance. The crowd stood there in the door and, and as they were standing there, they were probably caught up in the words of Jesus. They were probably listening to it, taking it in, applying it. But in the process, they missed the one who was hurting, trying to get to Jesus. You say, well, Eric, we would never be a hindrance. No, we wouldn't intentionally, I hope. But sometimes we are without even realizing it. Let me share with you a church that had some, some hindrances in it. Emmanuel Baptist Church in Marion, Kentucky, wanted to start a ministry, and it sounds a little odd, but maybe you'll understand why it was needed. They were gonna start a ministry in which they were going to train and provide equipping for parents who needed to know how to do parenting better. These are parents, the, the, the children, they had assessed their community and determined that this was a need. Young people roamed the streets pretty, pretty often, uh, odd hours of the night, got into trouble. And, and it seemed the parents either couldn't control them or didn't. And so they wanted to offer a parenting course. And so they, they took, their, their church took a lady in church who was a social worker, and they kind of wrote their own, their curriculum. And they began to offer a course on Tuesday nights for parents to come and to learn how, how to give discipline to your ch children, how to be firm and yet loving, helping them to see that you can be both. Because sometimes out there in this world, there are parents that think, oh, they just love their parents to death, I mean, love their children to death, and there's those that beat them to death. You know, like, we've got to learn to, to mix the two. How do we offer discipline and love? And so that's what they were doing on Tuesday nights. And there were people coming, and they actually met in their sanctuary. And as they met in their sanctuary, there was a, a small crowd really coming, just a few parents here and there, and they did it for several weeks. Well, the county judge heard what was going on. He wasn't a member of the church, but he said, tell me, Brother Rob, what what is it you're doing down there? I heard about this parenting course. So Brother Rob explained to him what it was, and here's what the judge said. Wow. He said, I see people every week in my courtroom that need to be in a parenting course. I'm talking to parents who are going through a divorce. I'm talking to, to people who are involved in abuse cases with young people. I'm talking, I'm talking to young people who've gotten in trouble with the law. He said, I, all of this, he said, man, we need that bad in our community. And he said to Brother Rob, he said, you know, I like that your church is doing it. He said, I can't make people come to your church. But then he smiled real big and he said, but I can make people go to a parenting course. And yours is the only one in the county. So he began to sentence people to go to the parenting course. And before you know it, the church was, was full. There were a lot of people who were there because they had been told by the judge, you need to go to a parenting course. When I, you can only imagine this was a bigger crowd than they were experiencing. It involved a little more work on behalf of the church. Not only that, if you've got parents who are needing help parenting and they have children, they probably maybe don't have anybody to leave those kids with. So guess what? They started bringing the kids with them. And so the church began to open up the nursery to help take care of the children. And then the hindrances started 
speaking up. I don't think they meant to be. But they said things like this to Brother Rob. Brother Rob, have you noticed that we're, we're having to spend a lot of time cleaning the toys after they leave, catch that? After they leave before our kids come back on Sunday morning. Brother Rob, they, things are getting a little untidy. We're having, men the carpet, these people, I don't think they're, clean, you know, they just begin to complain and gripe about everything. And Brother Rob was really discouraged. And then one Sunday morning, he extended the invitation. Several rows back, he tells me that there was a young man in his late 20s that got up and came down the aisle to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And walking with that young man, kind of holding his pant leg, really, was his little boy, about a five-year-old little boy. And that man had been in the parenting course and had come to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. That turned that church around. Those who had been hindrances, who were complaining about the extra work and about the dirt and about the cleaning and the time and all that's involved, all of a sudden realized, God can use this. God can use this. They'd been standing in the doorway and didn't realize there was somebody behind them trying to get in. Friends, I want you to look at one final verse. Look at verse 12. It says in verse 12, Well, I got to get there. Immediately he got up, picked up the stretcher, went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were astounded and gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. When was the last time that someone in this community looked at Unity Baptist Church and saw the power of God at work and said, wow, we've never seen anything like this? You see, that's what happened here. They saw God at work. They saw God healing and helping the hurting. They saw these men, they saw the church at work and took note. They took note and said, that is awesome. I'd love for this community to see unity so engaged in its community helping the hurting and seeing people come to know Jesus that they'd begin to say that about you. Wow, that's amazing. Let me remind you of the scripture found in Matthew 25. <clears throat> scripture in this, this passage, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's reminding them of something. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was naked and you clothed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was in jail and you visited me. I was sick and you cared for me. And they said, Lord, when, when did we do that? Because you see, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't remember a single time that they'd done any of those things to Jesus. And you know, what Jesus said to him, don't you? He said, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. You see, when you help that mother who's struggling with a pregnancy that she didn't plan, you're doing that as if unto Jesus. When you help that child who's hungry or who needs tutoring after school, you're doing it unto Jesus. When you clothe that family who's been burned out or flooded out, you're doing it as if you're doing it to Jesus. We could go on 
and on, giving examples. Here's my final question for you this morning. Who do you most identify with? Is it the hurting? Maybe you're here this morning and you're hurting. No, nobody would know it because you can't always see hurt, but you are hurting. I want you to know something. You have come to the right place. You have come to a place that will love you, will care for you, and help you with your hurts. If you're here this morning and you're one of the helping, maybe you identify with them because you're involved in ministry and you're already doing things to share the gospel with the people in this community. I just want to affirm you and say, keep it up. Keep it up. How does God want you to help the hurting? How does God want you to minister in this community to those who don't yet know Christ? And finally, maybe you identify with the hindrance. You know, I mean, it's not something we would, we would want to, to broadcast or to, to be proud of, but maybe the Spirit just spoke to you and said, you know, you, you, need, to, you need to open up and let God do in you what He wants to do. I remember years ago when I served in Henderson, a local church there, we'd done a lot of creative ministry. We had a lot of young people, and I was so excited to see a lot of your young people up here this morning. We had a lot of young people. We did a lot of creative types of things in our, in our music, in our worship. We even had clowns that were a part of the worship. It was a bit odd at times, but that, we just did that. And I had an elderly gentleman come up to me one time, and he just really let me have it for using that kind of stuff in church and didn't think there was a place for it. And I just listened and prayed for Vernon. He's... About nine months later, Vernon came to me. And I'll never forget this. Vernon came to me, and here's what he said. Eric, do you remember what I said to you about the clowning and the creative ministry? I wanted to say, how could I forget? <laughs> but I didn't. I just looked at him. I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, you know, I still don't like it. But he said, I think we need to keep doing it. I'm seeing people come to our church that I haven't seen before because of that. So you see, Vernon had been a hindrance, but God had changed his heart and brought him around. Did it mean he liked what was happening? No, but he was no longer against it. He wanted to be for it because it brought people to Jesus. Would you bow with me? Father, this morning we come to you thanking you for your word. Thank you for these men who showed us what it means and what it looks like to bring people to you. And Father, this morning I pray as we go into a time of response that there be someone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior. That, Father, is their greatest need. It was my greatest need before I trusted you. And so as we enter to a time of response, I pray, Father, that if someone's hurting, they would come up here and, and, and let me share with them or let a deacon talk to them or, or maybe they just want to pray at the altar. Lord, whatever it is, I pray they would, would, would have the strength and the courage to do that. Father, I pray that each of us would respond in a way that pleases you this morning. I don't know how you've spoken to each heart. I don't know what your challenge to each one is. But Father, I pray that we'll hear your voice that we'll be responsive to what you want us to do and that we will allow you to use us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine in order to reach this community for you. In your precious name we pray, amen. From all of us here at Unity, we would like to thank you for spending time with us today. 
If you would like to know how to surrender your life to Christ, click on the link in the show notes, and we would love the opportunity to help you in your next steps. If you've enjoyed today's talk, remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. And as promised, if you would like more information about Unity, you can connect with us at unitybaptistashland.com or on Facebook at UBC Ashland. <laughs>